And if you have your Bibles, turn with me back to Romans 8. We had a good introduction last Lord's Day. and I thought that it would be good for us to uh, continue in that vein. Let me say that on Wednesday evening, we will be going through um, the little presentation of the overview of uh, the General Assembly, if you'd like to join us on Wednesday night, rather than uh, going through Luke. So just know that we're coming together for that purpose on Wednesday evening, and uh, we look forward to that very much. But this scripture, uh, Romans 8, powerful, majestic Word of God, Hear then the word of the Lord. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him Graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And may God then add His blessing to the reading of His holy and precious Word. We began looking at this passage last Lord's Day. We began to at least get some introduction to it. How the Apostle Paul unfolds uh, the glorious gospel in Romans as he begins in chapter 1 and he unfolds it. When he gets to chapter 8, um, I would say he is so taken with God's work. Uh, in Christ and in the gospel, uh, that he uh, he writes Romans eight, and Romans eight uh, is really a key and comforting passage of scripture that is almost like all a doxology. The whole of Romans eight it begins for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and it just goes right on through to the end. Who shall separate us? What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And, of course, uh, we came to those questions that we were looking at. Uh, there, there are seven questions that we, we began to look at. The first one was, 
uh, introductory, what shall we say to them to these things? And um, that itself speaks to us. And the questions, um, that was one writer who said that they are actually unanswerable by human beings, which I thought was interesting. That as far as, at, uh, you know, what, what shall we say to these things? Uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? Well, who's going to know that? A human being can't take to themselves the knowledge <laughs> that, uh, that only God has. And that's the point. You see that the Paul, he puts these in the form of questions. Uh, questions that only are left in the hands of God. Ultimately, in the sense when we come down to the final analysis, it puts us in a position of acknowledging that God has been at work. It is God in whose hands our, our life is in the gospel. And it is in, it's God's work that has been performed in His Son, Jesus Christ, that, that saves us. And it's His work. And uh, what I've noticed uh, oftentimes as, as I saw that unfold, that I, have to re- I had to revert back to answer the question and say, Lord, You know. <laughs> Lord, You know. <laughs> Lord, I, I say nothing, but You know, <laughs> ultimately. And uh, it, it's quite a, a joyous thing. It, it's actually an exercise in prayer. Because when you come down to it, uh, prayer is not just a soliloquy where we talk to ourselves. (laughs) But prayer is a a situation where you see something glorious in the gospel and you say, Lord, that's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Show me more of yourself in in your gospel. And in in that, sometimes uh, we uh, we can take the gospel and we can define the gospel in, in our own terms where we are, but the glorious gospel ultimately is the great work of God Himself. And I think that many Christians uh, experience uneasiness and doubt in their life because what they've been exposed to the gospel in just very a basic way, and they haven't seen the full scope of God's work in the gospel like Romans 8 presents it. And I'll tell you how that, uh, how do we know the comprehensiveness of God? In verse 28, again, Romans 8, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And I began to think about all things in my life in the hands of God. Uh, All things in my life that may not be good, but He says that He's going to bring all those things for good in my life. And and, and you, you begin to think there, don't you, is that the maintenance of the Christian life it's not ultimately me, but it's the work of God in us through Christ. And uh, I begin to think about the scope of redemption in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, those he also called. And whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. All of a sudden, I kept going. And I said, now, where's my life here? And I'm somewhere in between there <laughs> in life. And uh, those whom he justified. <laughs> and then it goes, those he also glorified. And I said, wait a minute, I hadn't got there yet. <laughs> but you begin to see the scope. You see the scope of the redemption of the gospel of Christ. It's not just that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He did. And praise God that He did die for 
the remission of sins. But the gospel itself, when we begin to realize this, is, is that it is, it is full and it's broad and it's complete and it is comprehensive in your life and my life who love Him. And uh, it is His work in you. And it's amazing to, to see God's hand at work. And some may doubt and say, well, then if I'm a Christian, how, how do I know that God is going to keep His promises? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe He doesn't love me anymore. Maybe uh, I'm, I'm not enough just trusting Christ. How can, I, how can I be sure? And, you know, I began to look at that question, and I began to realize that in this passage, um, we are reminded in Romans 8, in the light of the gospel, that is, you come into Christ, the promise of the Lord is that those who trust in the Lord will not be disappointed. That those who trust in the Lord are basing their faith not on themselves, but they're basing their work upon the salvation of Christ in the gospel and the work of God in their life. And how can we know that? Well, if God be for us, who can be against us? And he says that, and I'm sure that there are all kinds of things in life that come against us that we may think, uh, what are we going to do with this or how are we going to handle that? Uh, you know, what's that uh, in relationship to my spiritual life? And uh, it's pretty amazing that um, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how shall, we not, how shall he not also freely with him give us all good things? That amazing, and one of our points was that if if the father would not withhold his own son in order to secure your redemption, that should bring you great comfort about the future in lesser things. Amen? Lesser things. Uh, we might get worried about death. You know, I'm sick. I don't think I'm going to live. Man, is is God going to be with me? And I I thought to myself as I was studying this, it took me back to Psalm 116:15. You know what it says there as a comfort to God's people? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. <laughs> Listen, the Lord in His truth and His redemption has not even left our death to chance. <laughs> That even our home going is precious in his sight. He reminds us also that not only uh, that God gave his son, and if he has not withheld his own son from, from you who trust in him, be sure that you can trust him in lesser things of life and this world. If he's given that which is the greatest in order to redeem you, all these other things are going to fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you as well. So you see, Romans 8 is a great chapter of assurance. But it keeps pointing us back to Christ. keeps pointing us back to the Gospel and say, don't limit the Gospel that He gave Himself on the cross for your sins, but look at the broad scope of what He's done as a result of that sacrifice. And one of the things we can say now even as Christians, what, to have great assurance, is that where is the Lord now? Well, He is in 
heaven. And I, I love the passage because in one of those questions, um, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? And then it speaks about the one who mediates for us, and that's Christ Himself. Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who, all in, who also intercedes for us. Now, oh, isn't that beautiful? That Christ hasn't stopped His redemptive work. That uh, He who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of the Lord. There's not a second, not a moment, not an hour, not a day, not a year that's separated from the glory of the outcome of His gospel in our lives in Christ. But remember that it is in Christ. Isn't the thing, the glorious thing of all this is bound in Christ. And um, so stay very near the Lord. Keep your heart and your mind focused upon Christ and His redemptive work, and be reassured by Scripture itself. Uh, who, who is it that brings a charge against God's elect? Who is it that condemns? Uh, God is the one who, who justifies. Rather, it, it, is, it is Christ who died. And I love this, speaking of God's redemptive work. It is Christ who died, who also was raised, <laughs> and who ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Do you see how oftentimes we can narrow the sense of the gospel and not see the broadness of the scope of how all-encompassing the work of the Lord in our life is? Um, It's pretty amazing. We have to beware of uh, gospel humanism because there is a, a mistake that can be made with regard to our understanding of the gospel that may cause us doubt. And that's when we take it and we begin to try to define the gospel on our own terms rather than the Scripture's terms. You see, there's an error that some Christians can fall into. Uh, They can say, well, you know, Jesus came to give His life for me. He came into a sinful world. He died on the cross. And you see, now He's going back to heaven and he's He's going to plead with the Father who's angry with us. And he, he's going he's gonna to say, um, Father, I, I know that you're mad at them. <laughs> I, I, I know that they haven't done what they're supposed to do. But listen, listen, I gave my life for them. Would you take them back? I call that gospel humanism. Because, my dear friends, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to this earth of His own accord. When He came into this world to purchase your redemption, He came by the covenant hand of our God, Father. He came by the agreement of the Holy Spirit. God sent Him into this world. For God so loved the world. Listen, the Father wasn't sitting up there in terms of redemption, just waiting. Well, I'm, boy, I hope he finishes that work. Man, I'm mad with those guys. I hope he, I hope he does what he says he's going to do. You see, a lot of people think God the Father is out there and impersonal and did not have a direct hand in the redemption that is yours in His Son, Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, first of all, that God was the one who accomplished this alone. 
It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the covenant of grace that saved you. And it is sure and fixed in heaven because God did it. God the Father sent His Son into the world, attested to by the Holy Spirit as He walked on this earth and bore witness to Him. You see, redemption becomes a little broader now, doesn't it? That, that what you're dealing with is the work of God in the redemption of His children. And my dear friends, do you think that God is going to send His Son into the world for nothing? Or I like what one uh, gospel humanism says, that God sent His Son into the world to shed His blood on the cross for possibilities. That you might, you might just somehow by the appeal accept His Son and uh, I told one person that I don't believe my Savior was sent into the world by the Father to give His life to purchase possibilities. Amen? That God sent His Son into this world to purchase possibilities. Absolutely not. God sent His Son into this world to purchase His children, those whom the Father Gave Him. Amen? Is that biblical? That's exactly what the Scriptures say. And I want you to know that God wasn't set, sitting out there somewhere uninvolved in your redemption. <laughs> it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who accomplished your redemption. I like what uh, one uh, person wrote in Redemption Accomplished and Applied uh, John Mary, and it, it's a beautiful little book. It says that uh, God the Father, through His covenant of grace, uh, established it. Uh, God the Son came into the world and accomplished your redemption through His shed blood. And guess what? It wasn't left to you from there either. <laughs> and uh, God, God the Holy Spirit came and applied that gospel to your life. Let me ask you, who is at work in your life this morning in the gospel? Is it just Jesus? No, God the Father. Listen. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All working for your good, your redemption. Not just in the day that Christ died and shed His blood. Not in the day that you believed. For Father knows that in the day that we believe that that was the work of His Spirit in our hearts. And God was just claiming that which was His. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? And if you really know the saving grace of the Lord in your life and in your heart, has it been a perpetual thing? Has it been a perpetual thing? Well, listen, God's not through with you yet. I like what uh, Ruth Bell Graham said uh, with regard to her redemption, they were riding down the highway, uh, 421, and there was a construction section through there. And her comment to Billy was, "Well, uh, Bill, they'd had a little disagreement," and uh, and she said, "Well, Billy, I want you to know something. God's not through with me yet. Just like this construction site. <laughs> and uh, I'll, uh, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of the Lord." For I am, and I love this verse, for I am persuaded 
that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. Isn't that a... Boy, Lord, my faith and my confidence is in what You have done for me, and that's my only faith. And I have confidence in that, and I believe that that what You promised that You will bring to pass. And let me tell you, my dear friends, I've failed Him more than once. But can I tell you something about our precious Jesus? He has never failed any of His children. Not even once. And I was looking at Isaiah 53 thinking about the scope of the gospel and something just struck me about the nature of God's work. That it is God's work and He is the one who's done it. And I was running through Isaiah 53, that great shepherd passage, the suffering servant. And all of a sudden I came to a little verse in verse 10. And it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, to putting him to grief. And you know, I began to read that again and I began to say, what? Wait a minute, our redemption was not that Jesus came into the world on his own and was seeking our reconciliation so that he could go back to heaven and plead with his father that we might be saved. But what does it say in Isaiah 53? Did you catch it? That it pleased the Father to lay our sins on Him. That it was the Father's work. Our sins were laid on Him by God the Father. Now I hope you catch the import of that and how important that is. Was God the Father thinking about your redemption when Christ was dying on the cross? Was it the work of Christ alone? No, it pleased the Father to lay my iniquities and yours in Christ on Him. Now that's, that's something that needs to, to grab you. Because even your justification, my faith in the Lord, was the work of God. Who was the one person that didn't have anything to do with that? Lonnie. <laughs> All I had to offer the Lord was my sin. Who accomplished redemption for you and me? Was it not completely God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? And I love the passage as it speaks of that uh, as... Peter speaks uh, to the group there and he says, uh, you crucified, remember, you crucified the Lord of glory according to the predetermined plan of God. Wow. You mean redemption? Was the plan of God completely? I would say yes. And think about what surety that brings to you as a believer. That we who are His children, uh, would, would we have doubt? Well, you may, but greater is He who is in you than all your doubt. And I don't know about you, but I have gone through times of struggle. Wondering, concerned. Lord, man, I've not lived up to it. And the Lord says, always comes back and says, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that still does not 
change the fixed promises of God in the life of a believer who trusts in Him. The surety that you have in your faith is the work of God Himself. It was God who did it. It was a relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit by which redemption redemption was accomplished in His coming into the world just at the right time. I came to do what? My Father's... I, oh, oh, wait a minute. I came into the world to do my Father's will. I came to do His work. Lord, I've accomplished that work. Would you keep those in this world who... Don't you love John 17? Alright, I'm still looking for John 17. I'm waiting. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm waiting to hear... Good sermon from John 17. How glorious our our gospel and salvation is. How comprehensive is the work of God in your life through Christ. And I hope you rest in that more and more. I hope you don't remain in that realm of gospel humanism. You know what I mean. Oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't know about today. Hmm. I just hadn't been good enough. Well, you know how it is. You know how people are. <laughs> oh, my dear friends, are, are we a little bit wishy-washy at times? Aren't you glad that our salvation doesn't wash, rest in our emotions and our reactions and our feelings in life? Because I'll tell you, but there's been some days that I've gotten up and I just hadn't felt like it. But dear friends, what we say to you in the gospel and what Romans 8 says to you is that your gospel is, your salvation is not based on those things. It is not based on how Lonnie feels today. But it's saved by the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And my dear friends, do you think that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit would go to that extent and turn around and say, oh, well, we're just not going to keep our promise. (laughs) And that's what Paul is saying to you as a Christian about the lesser things of the faith. Your gospel is a marvelous gospel. It is a full gospel. And that's why Paul could say concerning Christ that you are complete in Christ. Have we got there yet? No, we know where we live day to day. But... Paul was able to say because of the finished work of Christ and the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he was, say, he was able to fully and completely say, you are complete in Christ. That's the extent of the gospel that you hold in Christ. That your surety is based upon His work. And then, my dear friends, not only was the gospel that relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But then we do see that it was the Father who laid our iniquities on Him so that we could be saved. Was God the Father involved in redemption through Christ? Sometimes we forget that, don't we? What if God the Father had not been able to intervene or had not intervened? Would the gospel be complete? Would the gospel be complete? if the Father had not laid the sins of us all upon Him. No, it would not. 
But you see, we as human beings have a tendency to separate things and reduce things. But I tell you that the gospel that you hold in Christ is very comprehensive. And it is very sure. And if you look at Scripture, even the lesser things are spoken to. Um, I love the one here in Romans 8 where it says, and even the Spirit does what? Can you think? And the Spirit <laughs> groans. I like that one. <laughs> he, he, in, he groans with intercessions. <laughs> does, does the Christian have those promises of Christ reaffirmed in their life? He bears witness with our spirit that what? That we are children of God. Oh my. And oh, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. How far does this gospel go? Wait a minute. How far does this faith in Christ and His finished work go? Well, I tell you what, it goes all the way. How about that? Amen? Amen. It goes all the way. And then listen to it after Paul comes down to this and he asks these questions that really ultimately are in the hands of God. He says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Then he speaks to us about life in this world. Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are being considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Is that the way the world oftentimes looks at us? But I tell you, the Lord, Paul under the Spirit comes back and says, yeah, it looks that way sometimes. And even in this world may come out somewhat like, but not really. And then he presents the greater thing of God's work and his love in your life. He said, but in all these things, what? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. Loved us. And then he comes finally, as Paul ponders it, he almost, um, with a statement of doxology and a statement of faith in the Lord, Lord, you have given yourself in the gospel. It has been the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that gospel, that person of Christ has been applied to our hearts. And he lives within us now. You know one of my favorites, don't you? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith. The Son of God who loved me and gave. Life is not the same, you see, in Christ. But neither is the wishy-washiness. It may still slosh every once in a while. (laughs) But aren't you glad? that the surety of your faith rests upon the redemption that has been given us in Christ, that it is fixed. And then he says, oh, look at the majesty of Christ's work, and look what he has done to redeem his children, his elect. And then he comes down and Paul cries out almost in voice, for I am convinced, the lesser things, for I am convinced that neither death, what is one of the things we fear most? Paul says, as a result of the work, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, 
<laughs> I like that one too because life can get awfully hard sometimes. <laughs> For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels. Now I love the spiritual focus of this, especially in the spiritual environment which we're especially living today. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My my dear friends, I hope that you can cry with the Apostle Paul as a result of knowing Christ and the scope of the gospel and the extent of it. And you can say, oh Lord, uh, when I came to know you, how little did I know about the scope of that truth and that gospel of your saving me and how it was accomplished. My dear friends, I hope you grow in the knowledge that from the cross of Christ, where He shed His precious blood, I pray that it would be from there that you begin to appreciate more and more the broad scope of what Jesus Christ has done and is doing and is going to do for you from here to eternity. Amen? Amen. May the Lord be with you. May He bless you in Christ always. It's always in Christ. As somebody once said, it begins with Him and what? It ends with Him. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, when we uh, have our hearts unfolded to the depths of Your love for us and the scope of that redemption, we are amazed. We are overwhelmed, God, for we know that then salvation surely is of our God. He redeems us to the uttermost. Father, I pray that we would not be satisfied with the the tenets of gospel humanism, but I pray that we would be filled and fed with the truth of Jesus Christ and His redemption in Scripture. I pray, Father, that we would be able to see the fullness of that redemption by Your work in our hearts, O Holy Spirit. Teach us. Help us to ground ourselves in Christ. Father, dear Peter, there he was in the boat, wanting to come to Christ in the storm. And he gets out of the boat and he goes, Lord, we... See that as he looks about him in the world that he begins to sing. But Lord, you are the God of the storm. You are the God of all of our anxiety. You are the God of our very life who has saved us. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, our Savior, who not only is the author of our faith, but, oh God, we thank God for the word of Hebrews that you are the finisher of our faith. May we rest in Him. In Jesus' name we do pray.